0: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
2: Welcome to the World in Sport. I'm Vinnie Wiley. This week, Vanuatu's star volleyball duo to appear in a new documentary, a new Fiji Bati coach is appointed, upgrades in PNG for the under 20 Football World Cup, and we talk to Tonga's Olympic bound Taekwondo star. But first, tributes are flowing in for the former Fiji rugby international Seru Rambeni, who has died at the age of 37. Rambeni represented the Flying Fijians 30 times, playing at two World Cups and for the Sevens team at the 2002 Commonwealth Games. The former utility back made his name for the Highlanders and Otago in New Zealand, before continuing his career with the Leicester Tigers in England. Former teammate Elias Tanivula says he got a shock when he found out the news.
0: Young fella, full of life, and I was uh, honoured to have played with him professionally in uh, New Zealand with the uh, Highlanders. You know, he was a team man. He thought of everyone around him, and um, he was cheerful uh, on the field. He, he was very. He loved the physicality been an honour and privilege to play with a, you know, with a man.
2: And uh, just 37 years old, I think last year he was even considering you know, a, a final sort of comeback to try and make that World Cup squad.
0: Yeah, I thought he would with his experience and but he got into his business with transportation which was going well for him and the sad news.
2: When did you find out, it was yesterday morning wasn't it, that he died?
0: Yeah, yesterday morning. Uh, funny thing was, uh, I was with uh, Josh Blakey, teammate as well from the Highlanders, and uh, Ale T. Pauly. We are, uh, We all sort of uh, played the same year with in, uh in Dunedin with the Highlanders.
2: Was he still playing in Fiji at all? Uh,
0: he was involved in coaching for United Syria, provincial side here uh, in Fiji. He was in Hong Kong, met him there, think, last year. Um, he was coaching and playing at a club in uh, Hong Kong. And yeah, I guess that was the last time we sort of got in touch. And yeah, back here. He had his business going and with his uh, transportation. Yeah, oh man, great friend, great mate and
2: uh, nice to know him. Elisa Tanivula, a friend and former teammate of Fiji Rugby International, Seru Rambeni. Vanuatu beach volleyball stars Linlin Matuatu and Milipata feature in a new documentary film that follows athletes from developing countries as they prepare for the 2016 Rio Olympics. The Melanesian duo are currently 17th in the Olympic rankings and need to reach the top 15 by the end of June to qualify directly for Rio. The documentary film A Fighting Chance also features athletes from Lesotho and the Dominican Republic. The president of Vanuatu Volleyball, Debbie Vicalo, says it will screen at the South by Southwest Festival in Texas this week and at next month's Tribeca Film Festival in New York as they continue their quest to make it to Rio. The girls
3: are currently ranked 17th in the Olympic ranking. They take the top 15 and we've got another 10 events to go.
2: So when is that final cut-off date that you need to be in that top 15 by?
3: The final cut-off date is on the 12th of June and then if we're not in the top 15 on the 12th of June then we'll fly Team 1 over to um, Sydney for the Asian Continental Cup final where they'll be met by Team 2 of Vanuatu, and then we'll play in the Asian Continental Cup final with all the other top Asian teams and if we win that event we could go through to the Olympics taking the Asian um, Olympic berth but if we come second or third we then have to fly both teams over to Russia for the um, World Cup if we come first or second from that World Cup in uh, July then we take the last two for the Olympic Games. So it's a bit of a, still, it's a very, very long, hard, expensive process.
2: Ten tournaments to go between now and that cut off date. I mean, that's only less than three months away, so that's quite an extraordinary workload.
3: It's a very extraordinary workload and it's a very expensive workload. We're still struggling financially to get to all the events, still having fundraisers here locally in, in Vanuatu. But now with the announcement of our major sponsor, Samson International, that has helped um, us enormously to be able to afford to attend these um, events. But it's uh, still very expensive and it still costs us a lot of money.
2: And so that sort of sponsorship, that's covering your flights, it's covering your accommodation, covering uh, allowing the girls to train and all that sort of stuff?
3: It's covering probably about a quarter of the, the amount needed so we're still short, so we still have to find some funding. So locally, we, we're supported by Vanuatu Agricultural Development Bank, who's our major sponsor locally, and the National Bank. And of course, um, Air Vanuatu has been a long-term sponsor and supporter, so it helps with those trips to get to Sydney and Auckland, when so that reduces our airfare
2: costs. This is, of course, the second, I guess, major push that Vanuatu have made towards the Olympics, coming very close to getting to London four years ago. Uh, Financially, is it harder this time? Is it more expensive this time?
3: Yeah, it is more expensive because we're so close to getting to the top 15. We're trying to get to all the events. Last time, we just um, aimed to get through through the um, Continental Cup final. So we only really needed to go through the Asian qualification system, but now we're trying to get through to the World qualification system. We're only two spots away, so it's um, really a very huge, realistic dream. And it's you know we're just so thankful for the local support and and all the support internationally for to getting these girls to the Olympics.
2: And of course, that ultimate goal is Brazil, and the girls are currently in Brazil as we
3: speak. Yes, they're currently in Brazil and they'll be playing tomorrow in Victoria in Brazil. The girls are staying as former residents of, of Vanuatu, so it's an interesting journey where you sort of stop from one place to another from some contact in, in Vanuatu. So it's just not about the two girls. The team is made up of so many more people than just the two girls.
2: And now there's this documentary that's uh, coming out to be released at the uh, Tribeca Film Festival mm. in New York that they're a part of as a... Uh, I guess, one of uh, three uh, sets of athletes from developing countries. Uh, I guess all exposure is great exposure and it's acknowledgement of what they've achieved to date, but, uh, you know, very exciting.
3: Yeah, we're very excited that our story could be told to the world and can inspire others from other developing countries or other people that are in the same situations as us where they don't have the resources, they don't have the support that other developing countries have from their governments, and we, we struggle ourselves. So we want to tell our story and we want to get other, especially women, that if they have a dream that they can achieve it. And through all the struggles that we've been through, we hope that we can inspire more.
2: That's the President of Vanuatu Volleyball, Debbie (laughs) Masafakalo. The new Fiji rugby league coach Mick Potter says it's an exciting time to be a part of the Bati team and the international game. The 52-year-old Newcastle Knights assistant coach has been appointed coach for May's Pacific Test against Papua New Guinea and says he's keen to see the job through until next year's World Cup. The former West Tigers mentor assisted former Barty coach Rick Stone during last year's test window and jumped at the chance to stay involved.
4: I helped him out in the the previous May test. I think Rick wanted to uh, step aside for the next year, I think it was uh, being a head coach and and coaching the national team, he felt um, was still up a bit too much of his time. So um, there was an opportunity there this year to uh, to continue there. So I've taken it up, and it's been really good to work with some of the young players in Fiji. I, I went over there uh, late last year and um, done some clinics and some coaching, and watched a, a bit of the team's playing. And it was a good experience. I, I liked it and enjoyed it, and just since been appointed.
2: Yeah, and you obviously have a reasonably lengthy background there in coaching club sides, England, and, and Australia. But I guess the international game is something different altogether, and um, yeah, it certainly seems to be growing in in the last few years, especially.
4: Yeah, it is, mate. Uh, the um, the Polynesians and the uh, the Islanders are, are certainly uh, coming into the game more. So uh, their skill level phenomenal. They're they're so athletic. They're sometimes a little bit green in the. In the finer details, but that can be learnt fairly quickly. Having had a little bit of experience over at uh, the Catalans in France, I thought that's uh, stood me in good stead with understanding where the, where the players are coming from as far as knowledge overall of those points that you need to know for NRL, if you like, and the top level in the game. That is to be finely tuned to be able to compete at that level, it takes a couple of years' experience at least to get yourself up to speed.
2: And uh, obviously, having the experience uh, with Rick last year with the Bati, uh, and uh, having that knowledge of the players uh, there is obviously going to help you sort of, uh, you know, when you get into it. Because you know, when you have that international week in May, it's you obviously had them for that whole week. But uh, I suppose you don't get many opportunities in season to, you know, have the squad together, sort of thing.
4: No, you don't, and uh, it's unfortunate. But, but the commitments, with their, their clubs, obviously come first. The experience that I had last year, I enjoyed it to the point where I wanted to stay involved. The culture that they've got, the Fiji Barty team, is a very good culture as far as the feeling you have from being with the players and the feeling they get with each other is one you want to be associated with. They're trying to look after one another, trying to do the best for their team and their family and, and to represent Fiji... In the body team, is something that's precious
2: to them. Fiji and rugby league, uh, it's you know interesting times. Of course, uh, semi-finals of the last World Cup. You've got the long-term goal, which uh, I think is getting ever closer of getting a team in the New South Wales Cup. You know, Melbourne have agreed to play a t- uh, NRL match up there uh, as well. So um, you know, it's a lot happening.
4: There is, and there's been quite a bit of talk with uh, the New South Wales Rugby League and the ARL to get a team into that New South Wales Cup. I think it's getting closer and closer. I'm not sure whether it's been picked off, but certainly that would be a big step to having a uh, complete CG team in the Australian competitions. And it's only the second tier. It's virtually one step away from NRL. So having those players on show week in, week out, and having those players being able to compete physically with a a lot of the squads of NRL, it's going to make them better, and it's going to make them better quicker. And that's going to take them to another level, I would have thought, long term. It's it's exciting for Fiji rugby league.
2: There are obviously a lot of Fijian players that are in the NRL and even more, I guess, of Fijian descent that haven't played for Fiji. Um, you know, the likes of Rindrandra and uh, you know Aquila when he's available, um, as you would well know, currently being at Newcastle. Um, what do you make of the talent at your disposal now? And I guess the other side of the coin is that we talk about with a lot of the coaches of Pacific teams is, you know, how confident are you about how many of them you can actually get, because there is that sort of struggle between club and country, which I guess is a, a delicate balancing act.
4: Yeah, it is. it's just a case of, of just keeping conversation with the clubs and the players wanting to represent their country. It's, a, it's an opportunity for them. And most clubs are sympathetic to a degree, but they also want their team to do as well as it can and they don't want any unnecessary injuries it's a bit of a conflict if they see it as that and sometimes that needs to be negotiated out but most are fairly receptive to uh, letting the young players you know, represent their country.
2: So will you have a chance over the next sort of month or so to I guess tap some shoulders and, and check who's available and who's willing to put on that jersey for May?
4: That'll uh, unfold as, as time goes as we get closer to the match. I'll start making contact probably in the next couple of weeks with some clubs about availability of players and it'll all unfold from there and it, it's it doesn't sort of unravel right, right up until the
2: last week. And this is, of course, uh, at the at this moment, just for that one test against PNG. Are you um, keen to go on until at least that World Cup next year? Or, you know, how, how does that all play out?
4: I'll wait and see. But, yeah, I'm certainly keen to follow it through. It, it'll be up, up to the, the Fiji and Rugby League what they want to do there. But, yeah, you know, I'm keen to pursue it. And uh, I'll just see what happens after this test.
2: That's the new Fiji Rugby League coach, Mick Potter. Rio-bound Tongan taekwondo athlete Peter telfa Talfua says he always believed he would achieve his dream of qualifying for the Olympics. The 32-year-old won gold in the over 80kg class at the Oceania qualifying tournament in Papua New Guinea last month to seal his place in Brazil, and says the achievement has been a long time coming.
5: The dream started 20 years ago, and you know my third attempt. It's been this accumulation of just a lot of work, and just reaching it finally has been actually a, a, a big relief. You know, big uh, <laughs> a lot of weight's been taken off my shoulders, and finally just realising the dream is I've never experienced this sort of a joy before. It's crazy, it's nuts.
2: <laughs> Did you always believe you would get there eventually, or were there moments there where you thought, oh, I don't know?
5: I had no doubt it. I'd get there. I just didn't know when. I believe that I was meant to not get there the first few times. And I was meant to go through the struggle. I was meant to feel the pain. My first shot at the Olympics, you know, I left New Caledonia in a wheelchair. That was 2008, 2012. I left New Caledonia again in crutches. I had a torn PCL. So I feel I was meant to go through that struggle to really appreciate it this time. I had no doubt it would happen. I just didn't know when.
2: And uh, what is it about the sport of taekwondo that draws you in? What got you into the sport and what keeps you going?
5: I actually started when I was five, it's a self defence thing. There's something about taekwondo which just, once it's in your blood, it doesn't go anywhere. There's nowhere else in life I can experience the same challenge that taekwondo gives me. You know, getting onto the maps, getting onto a, into a ring to fight somebody you, you don't hate, and you know whose sole purpose is to you know kick you in the head, and your purpose is to kick them in the head. And the emotional set you go through going into that is just something I fear every time. But it's, something I don't experience anywhere else in life so it it excites me you know being able to find those things which I fear and then walk towards them.
2: And not only are you going to the Olympics for the first time this is the first time that Tonga has ever qualified a taekwondo athlete to the Olympics so uh, that's quite significant as well.
5: It's just really hard to stress how long it's taken and how much work it's taken. Not just for me, I'm just the tip of the iceberg. What everyone doesn't see is the majority of the mass underneath me, which is blood, sweat and tears from everybody. Friends, family, the Tom community, the master, the other athletes that made it the other athletes that didn't make it. You know, so from the, the other countries, they send athletes, They inspire me, and you know, the New Zealand athlete that I beat is actually a friend of mine. It took a long time for us to get here, but we did.
2: And uh, your coach, uh, Paula, has said that he thinks, now that you're at the Olympics, he reckons you can win a medal. Do you share that view?
5: One of the things I learned from this, this whole experience is that the only way to succeed or achieve anything is to have absolute belief that you will. I have no doubt in my mind when I get on the mats, I'm not going to leave anything behind and I have absolutely no doubt that I'll be in medal contention. As soon as I stop believing that, there's no need for me to go to the Olympics.
2: That's the Tongan Taekwondo athlete Peter Tauwha-Tafua. Venues for the FIFA Under-20 Women's World Cup in Papua New Guinea are expected to be completed by September, two months before the tournament kicks off. PNG were awarded hosting rights in March of last year, Matches are scheduled to be held at the National Football Stadium, Sir John Guy's Stadium and Sir Hubert Murray Stadiums in Port Moresby and at Sir Ignatius Kalange Stadium in Leigh. The CEO of PNG Football, Dimarit Maling, says venues are all there but FIFA has requested upgrades to some of the facilities.
1: Preparation is in full swing to make sure that the the deadlines of making sure all the facilities are ready uh, for the tournament to take place. With the unveiling of the logo that demonstrates to the rest of the community in Papua New Guinea that, yes, Port Mosby will be the host for the uh, Under-20 World Cup 2016. We had the Prime Minister to make it very clear, this one is not going to go away, we will have to host it and uh, everything is in progress.
2: Yeah, you've got a lot of those facilities, of course, that were used during the Pacific Games. Do things need to be done?
1: Yes, few areas within the facilities that have already been built need to be upgraded as required by FIFA. The inspection team from FIFA has uh, identified that you know, the areas need to be uh, improved. That's already been identified with uh, people on the ground who are responsible for that, which is the sports Foundation. And so they're working on it. Training facilities are already uh, identified. Work has started uh, to upgrade the training facilities so we can have a proper and a decent uh, training facility, including uh, change rooms, and those have already started.
2: And so when are those upgrades expected to be completed?
1: We're hoping that by September, all those are ready. That's uh, the final month to making sure that
2: all that is in in
1: place. Certain works require a little bit more and certain works do not require... It's up to the people who are responsible here.
2: Who's looking after that and and who's paying for it? That's the government of Guinea. They are looking after both the upgrades and and funding those upgrades?
1: That's correct, yes. The uh, Department of Sports and Tourism... It's possible through the agency of the organisation, the organising foundation.
2: Do you have any concerns that any of the venues or facilities won't be ready in time, or are you confident that, as you say, September is a couple of months before it kicks off, so you think there'll be plenty of time?
1: From the discussions that we are hearing and uh, having, we, we should have the facilities ready prior to the games.
2: Is there a time from FIFA, like a minimum time before the tournament starts, that things are expected to be ready by?
1: I I can't give you the details now.
2: I'm not privy to that. That's the Chief Executive Officer of PNG Football, Dimarit Maleng. And before we go, Fiji remained atop the World 7 standings despite back-to-back defeats at the latest leg in Vancouver. Having topped their group and recovered from two tries down to defeat the United States in the quarterfinals, Fiji were beaten by South Africa in the semis and Australia in the playoff for third place. New Zealand beat South Africa in 1914 in the Cup final, So Fiji have 106 points after six rounds, one point clear of South Africa, with New Zealand a further point adrift in third. Samoa claimed the plate title with an impressive 31-19 victory over the USA to record their best finish so far this season. And that's the World in Sport for this week. I'm Vinny Wiley. As always, thank you very much for listening.